0: let me try this. He is risen. He is risen all right, you got that. In fact, you know what? Let's let's kind of stocktonize that in 2017. Give me a. You know he is risen. All right, all right. Try that with me. Ready? Go you know he is risen all right he is alive and we are celebrating that today it is great to have you here my name is pastor brad i'm the senior pastor here at first baptist if you have your bibles you can open them up to luke chapter 24 you have an outline that is in front of you as well i hope in your bulletin um we are talking about the risen christ today and it is so much fun to do that Because it is the greatest comeback story ever. I mean, this is, this is Comeback Sunday is what this is. Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen. And so if you have your Bibles, let's pick it up in Luke chapter 24. Here's what Luke says. He says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, the women, went to the tomb He is not here. He has risen. Remember. Now I want to stop right there for just a second because I think that word there is so key to the rest of this passage. Remember. You know, I know there's a lot of avid sports fans here. I'm an avid sports fan as well. And I love to draw the analogies with uh, the athletic field and life and life situations. Uh, Because comebacks bring you a lot of confidence in life. The the disciples' life certainly changed when they saw and they verified the comeback that Jesus came back from the dead. And when you win something, even if you've been down by a lot and then you come back, that gives your team a lot of confidence that you can win again in any situation, no matter how far behind you are. I don't know if you realize, but this last year, we've seen some amazing comebacks in the athletic field uh, among the three major sports. I mean, think about the Super Bowl. Uh, Many of you watched in February. um, The New England Patriots overcame the largest Super Bowl deficit ever to win. They were down 28 to 3 in the third quarter. They won on a last second touchdown, 34 to 28. Sorry for any of you Falcon fans out there. Um, but greatest Super Bowl comeback ever. Think about a little bit before that. In the fall time, the Chicago Cubs. I'm not sure how many Chicago Cub fans we have here. But they came back from a 3-1 to deficit on, on the brink of elimination to win the World Series for the first time in 108 years. And it even took them um, extra innings to do it. Just, just, just a tremendous, tremendous series and comeback. And then uh, basketball, NBA finals over last summer. And I know this hits a little closer to home for some of you Golden State Warrior fans, but LeBron James and Cleveland Cavaliers also came back from that 3-1 to deficit to beat the Golden State Warriors four games to three. I mean, it was a year of major, major comebacks. And when you make a comeback just once when when your team does or you do in life it gives you confidence like you're never ever out of the game ever unless you don't remember unless you don't remember it. that's what the angel here is reminding the disciples of he's not here he's risen remember how he told you While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise, and what's it say there? And they what? They remembered his word. I mean, I mean, that's why we, we celebrate Easter, to be reminded of what Jesus did. That's why so many of us come every Sunday to be reminded of what Jesus did, to be encouraged to continue to make that uh, a part of our lives and live that out. That's why we get together in so many Bible studies and community groups around the city of Stockton, to remind one another of what Jesus did, which, by the way, is kind of interesting. Um, a, a number of years ago, Sports Illustrated put out a, a list, a top ten list, if you will, of the greatest comebacks in history. And and the list had these things like, you know, 1968 Elvis Presley uh, television special that revived his sagging career. And 1948, the victory of Harry Truman over Thomas Dewey after all the polls said it wasn't going to happen. Let me tell you the top two greatest comebacks as Sports Illustrated put in place. The number two greatest comeback ever was Japan and Germany rallying from the devastation of World War II to become the world economic superpowers that they soon became. And do you know what the number one, number one as named by Sports Illustrated editors of the greatest comeback of all time? Jesus Christ. A.D. 33, stuns the Romans and defies critics by his resurrection from the grave. Amen? Yeah! Yeah, for, hey, they got it right, right? Sports Illustrated. You know, what, you know what's weird about this time of year? That this time of year, Jesus, you know, finds his way onto a lot of periodicals or magazines, um, and, and just regular kind of magazine racks. I, I was walking in Safeway the other day, and, and I was drawn to some covers because of who they had on, on the front. I mean, I just went and I looked and I I saw um, National Geographic. On the front cover was a picture of of Jesus, the entire magazine about Jesus. Um, Went a little further and saw another on the magazine cover, a picture of Jesus. Uh, Another cover, again, a picture of Jesus. You know what was on the fourth magazine cover? No, that was Oprah, okay? Oprah was on that magazine cover, so... Picked it up for the softer side. Take a spring break. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> but go. You you can see that it, it happens this kind of this time of year. That 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 even uh, people who aren't maybe quote unquote religious get more into it because of what they know Jesus did and to have you know a magazine like Sports Illustrated say that that usually talks about comebacks now to talk about the greatest comeback and and there's something special about watching sports especially when you know that there's a comeback that can happen. I I love to DVR, to to tape games, and and then to fast forward through them to the end to see if they're close, and to see who's going to win at the end of the game. In fact, it's kind of interesting. I hate knowing scores beforehand, but sometimes I will, and sometimes I'll watch it. It takes all the angst out of watching a sporting event when you know who will win, right? It takes all the fun out of it, though, in many ways as well. But, but I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, in a spiritual sort of a way, we know who wins the game, amen? I mean, we have the end of the story. Just read it. We hear it here in Luke chapter 24. The comeback happens. If you skip ahead in the Bible, you'll see in the book of Revelation, at the end of all of time, God wins. God wins. You want to know the greatest comeback? That's it. God wins. And even though Satan tries to convince us and show us, ah, no, and he's going to try and take as many people as he can away from God's family, no, God wins. You just look to the end of the story. And so what I want to do is I want to jump into this story that we started here today, though, in Luke chapter 24. I want to jump in, though, right after the resurrection came about with two people who don't know about the comeback they haven't heard yet in fact they thought the game was over they thought they lost game was done they thought Jesus was dead and so in Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 13 is one of the probably least known Easter stories Um, it tells about Jesus uh, and it tells just as much about our responses to Jesus in life, because two people are there as well, and they respond how many of us probably would. Let me set it up for you. Picture this. It's the um, first Easter day. Later in the evening time, and two men are strolling along a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus about seven miles going from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're talking about all the events that happened that weekend when a stranger strolls up beside them and they don't know or realize that that stranger is the resurrected Jesus himself he's not dead that he's alive now how was that hidden from them how did they not recognize him? You know, it could have been that maybe he had a shroud kind of over his, his face, and maybe they didn't see him very clearly. We, we certainly see that. It's, it's getting to dusk time, and, and there's no streetlights out there on this, on this route to Jerusalem, to Jemaet, uh to Emmaus. Um, maybe it was a, you know, a Jedi trick. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for kind of thing. We, we, we don't know for sure, but truthfully, I think it was because of the downcast demeanor that these guys had. That they were saddened by the events that had taken place. And in strolls Jesus. And isn't it amazing at how every time you see him after the resurrection, he is in a really good mood, right? I mean, I mean it's almost like he is playful with the people when he's talking to them. I, I mean, but who can blame him, right? He's alive. And so let's pick it up there in verse 17. It says, and he said to them, this is Jesus, said to the two, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened uh, there in these days? And Jesus said to them, things. I I mean, is that kind of just a sly kind of trick going on there, right? I mean, it's like a candid camera or punked kind of moment there where these two are talking about Jesus, maybe even kind of of dissing him just a little bit here. And Jesus says, hey, what's up? You know, what are you guys talking about? And Cleopas is like, you know what? Have you not checked my Facebook page? I mean, come on, right? Don't you know what's all over Twitter? I mean, Jesus is dead. Jesus, Jesus is like, Twitter? What, what is this Twitter that you're talking about? Right? Show me. What, what, what's up? Cleopas says, yeah, it is all over the news. And he tells them what Jesus has just lived out. 19 and 20. It says, they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be cruci- uh, to be condemned to death and crucified him. I, I mean, how could Jesus have not given them kind of a, a a gleam in his eye as he's holding back his smile, like like you, you have not checked out my Facebook page of what happened this morning, right? I mean, it is there. Just updated it now. No, no, no more of this fake news, right? No more fake news going on here, okay? The fake news was that Jesus was dead. That was the fake news going on. And Jesus is there to say, uh-uh, I am alive. But he doesn't say it yet. 21. It says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, It is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, Jesus, they did not see. Verse 25 and he said to them, you couple of numbskulls. And that's not really too far off from what he said. Okay? You see what it says there? You foolish ones. Oh slow of heart to believe that the prophets have spoken, to believe what they have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. But they didn't know yet who he was. And then I love this next part. Watch this. Verse 28 says, so they were drawing near to the village, to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. So they kind of are stopping and turning off, and he's like, hey, we'll we'll see you guys. But they urged him. He acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him, strongly saying, would you stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. verse 30, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, and he blessed, and he broke it. And he gave it to them now this was totally against social protocol what jesus does here the head of the household was supposed to be the one to break the bread but jesus steps in and he does it and and here's why verse 31 it says and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he vanished from their sight now how did they recognize him Perhaps Jesus pulled back the shroud that maybe was covering his face. Maybe, maybe he leaned across the table into the candlelight that may have been on that table. Maybe there was a supernatural list lifting that came that these people now recognize him. It could have been a combination of all three. Um, but I happen to believe that it was the breaking of the bread. When he extended his hands out and he broke it, And gave it to them that it was then that they probably saw the nail prints in his hands and they said Jesus it's you and then in the kind of the playfulness of the story that I picture in my mind it's as though Jesus says gotcha (laughs) and disappears he vanishes verse 32 They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they, ro- and they uh, rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. You know, it's interesting because these words will be said all over the world today, and yet they're going to be said something like this, Yea, verily the Lord hath risen from the dead. Amen. You think it's going to be said like that, though? You think that's the way Jesus said it here? No, and the disciples here, they ran back and they said, No, He is alive. He's alive. In fact, let me try it. He is risen. That's the excitement that they set it in, and they set it to everyone who would listen. And so that is the account of the greatest comeback story ever of all time. And 2,000 years later, some of you are saying, okay, so what? Why does it matter? What's the difference in the midst of this? Well, as I said at the beginning, this story tells a lot about Jesus, but it tells even more, I think, with the people who are walking about us and kind of some of our emotions and some of our feelings in the midst of this, because we act the same way that these guys do. We live many times in a Saturday kind of world, in between when Jesus died on Friday and what's going to happen on Sunday. We live in that Saturday kind of world. We live in the fake news kind of world, believing something that's not true. And so let me share with you some of the emotions that these two guys felt. It's in the box on your outline. We'll cover these pretty quickly. In verse 17, Jesus starts to walk with them, and he asks, hey, what do you you guys talking about? And look what it says in verse 17. They stood still looking sad. First thing I think they felt. They felt a sense of defeated. They felt defeated in what they were going through in life. Maybe you're here today and you feel that same kind of defeat in your life. You you feel downcast. You feel stuck. You feel still. You feel shame or guilt. Maybe you're attempting a comeback of your own. Maybe from a failed marriage that you've been going through or have gone through in your past. Maybe uh, in your marriage you're attempting a comeback. Maybe there's an illness you're going through or financial pain that you've been involved in. Maybe you've backslidden spiritually. And today's your day to start a new start at a new starting line. Maybe you're trying to make a comeback from an addiction in your life. The whole Easter message is just that. The whole Christian message is you can come back. You can come back. That's what Jesus invites us to do. Come back, come back, come back. Don't feel defeated. Don't live in that defeated world. The second emotion I think these guys felt here was out of verse 21 where it says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. That that is such a sad statement. It's probably the saddest I hear in in, in the English language. We had hoped. We had hoped. You know what that tells me? They felt despair. That's what they were feeling in the midst of this. They felt despair. I, I had hoped. I had hoped to be maybe married at this point in my life. I had hoped to have children or a family. I had hoped to have a a job or have a 401k instead of a 401k-mart that it feels like I have. Or I had hoped that, you know, my family would come with me to church. I had hoped that my family would know Jesus. Peter felt the same thing. I mean, Peter, if you get down to it, Peter would have said, man, I had hoped that I would not have failed Jesus three times. I had hoped that I would not have denied him those three times went back fishing, Jesus says, no, come on back. There's work to be done. Come back. Be a part of the comeback story. Third emotion I see these guys feeling here was this. When it says, he, that is Jesus, explained to them in verse 27. He interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. You know what that tells me? It tells me they felt a sense of doubt. They felt doubt. They weren't sure, and we don't know what Jesus explained exactly. Verse 44, a little later on in the text, talks about how he explained Moses and the prophets and, you know, some of those possibilities, maybe from the Psalms. Maybe it was Psalm 22, which foretells the crucifixion. Get that. Psalm 22 in the Old Testament foretells what would take place thousands of years later, and then Jesus has now just lived that out, these guys are, are feeling a lot of different emotions, but all of that changed when they recognized Jesus. Did you catch that in verse 30 and 31? It says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. They recognized Jesus. That that word for recognized in the Greek is a phrase that literally translated is they came to fully comprehend him. They came to fully understand him. Recognize means more than they just recognized his face. It means they recognized his significance. It means they got it. They finally understood it. And what unfortunately I think we miss many times when we are maybe looking down and downcast and still is we miss, we miss rising above all the circumstances in our life. It's why we're, we're starting a new series today called Rising Above. And today's the first Sunday of it. Next week as Pastor Derek told you or Pastor Scott explained, Jim Burns will be here with us. He's going to speak in the same series Rising Above your past, your past maybe family issues, things that maybe have had just kind of weighed down. I challenge you. If you're not a regular tender here at First Baptist Church, I challenge you come over the next 4 to 5 weeks. Come through this series with us. Come and see what God wants to do in your life. Come and see the difference that he wants to make in you. In fact, if you've never taken the claims of Jesus seriously, you need to do this. And I don't know how you came here today. Maybe you came because grandma's having lunch afterwards, and you know, you know, to come to church, and then she's off your case when you go to grandma's, or or, or maybe, you know, you came here with a family or relative, or maybe just as today, you're like, okay, it's Easter, I'll, I'll do my one time. I hope this wouldn't just be a check-off-the-box day. If you have not explored the claims of Christ, I want to challenge you. In fact, I want to challenge you to do this. We have a book that's free for you. It's called The Case for Christ. Some of you will recognize that name. Lee Strobel, the best-selling author, just was made a major motion picture, a movie, after his life, um, talking about the claims that he went through. He believed that Christians were just brainwashed people. And so, having a law background of being a journalist, he set out to disprove Christianity. And let me read you a little excerpt from, from the book here. It says this He writes, As far as I was concerned, the case was closed. There was enough proof for me to rest easy with the conclusion that the divinity of Jesus was nothing more than a fanciful in, in, uh, in, invention of superstitious people. Or so I thought. And then he tells about how his wife became a Christian. And his first thoughts were great. She's going to become a prude. She's going to go off and serve in the soup kitchens and do 24-hour prayer vigils. And he said, but he came mesmerized by the change in her life. He said, she became a different person. And he said, it drew me in to find out what was the difference. And so he said, setting aside my self-interest and prejudices as best I could. I read books, interviewed experts, asked questions, analyzed history, explored archaeology, studied ancient literature, and for the first time in my life, I picked apart the Bible, verse by verse. I plunged into the case with the most vigor that I had ever ever done with any story I'd ever pursued. I applied the training I received from Yale Law School, as well as my experience as legal affairs editor for the Chicago Tribune, and over time, the evidence of the world, of history, of science, of philosophy, of psychology, began to point towards what was unthinkable. This Jesus is who he says he is. And if you do not believe that yet, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to your family or the people around you. And today we have these books available, just walk out on the walkway, you'll see right across the way, called The Case for Christ. Whether you're a first-time visitor here, or, or you're a skeptic, or maybe even you have a friend who, make a promise they'll read it. Pick it up for them and take it to them and say, would you explore this? And I'd love to talk to you more about what is in here. And I, I want to challenge you as well. If you're a parent or a grandparent, we actually have some kids' versions as well. It's called The Case for Christ for Kids. Pastor Mark is introducing the kids to that down in the, gym, the gymnasium that way as well here today. And wanting parents or grandparents to read that with their kids or grandkids as well. It, it is worth your time to settle this. In fact, it is worth your eternity to settle that question and these two men who walk along the road they were not sure what was gonna go on as well they thought Jesus was dead story over but then two words changes everything and let's finish this up very quickly two words help overcome the emotions that these guys felt they were this the words were remember and recognize remember and recognize the angels told the women to remember what jesus said and when we do that we recognize jesus is in our very presence as these men did as well and, and you know what jesus never belittled his followers for feeling defeated as he could have with these two who he's walking along you know they're downcast they're defeated he could have belittled it. that's not what jesus does He never belittled his followers when they felt despair as the disciples. When they ran when Jesus was being crucified, they were afraid. He didn't belittle them for that. Jesus never belittled them when they felt doubt, as we see Thomas doubting that he was even alive. Jesus didn't belittle them. Instead, as he did with Peter, Peter, who swung and missed three times when he denied Jesus, Jesus says, get back up Peter get back up the comeback is about to begin and I need your help you know this is a uh, little league season I know there's a lot of kids around here who have uh, started little league maybe even some of you remember those days when you played little league baseball let me, let me tell you a story about one man as he describes his little league experience Okay, he says, my first Little League game was the worst day of my life. He says, first of all, I played for a little, in a little field in Iowa, and every relative from two miles around came to see my first Little League game. Instant pressure there, he says. And if that's not bad enough, I'm eight years old, and I weighed like 13 pounds. He said, the uniform was like hanging off me like on a coat hanger. He says, worse than that, I struck out three times. Worse than that, didn't even touch the ball. And in the seventh inning, which is the last inning of the Little League games, he said the bases were loaded, two outs, and guess who's coming up? He said, I looked over at the coach like, uh, a little substitution would be nice here, but the coach just said, nope, going up, you're up. He says, I walk up, and I walked up to the plate, and I knew I was toast, because the pitcher was 10, and he had a beard And he's six foot three, or so it looked like. He says, I'm shaking as the pitcher is winding up, and I don't even see the ball. I'm standing there, and wham, the ball hits the catcher's mitt. Strike one, yells the umpire. I start to almost cry, but already, wham, strike two. The ball comes in, yells the umpire. He says, it goes by, and he remembers now this next moment as though it was in slow motion. All of his relatives are standing on one side, and they're saying, get a hit, get a hit, get a hit. All the opposing team is on the other side, the parents and relatives, and they're shouting, strike him out, strike him out, strike him out. He says, the tears are kind of welling up in in my eyes, and I decide I'm going down swinging if I go down. He says, the pitcher wound up, and as he was in the windup, I started swinging. I swung hard and ball hit the catcher's mitt strike three yelled the umpire there's this huge cheer that goes up from the one side and there's this huge groan that comes up from the other then the teams meet halfway through the field as they always do they do a little two four six eight who do we appreciate the other team yelled you because you lost it for them that's who we appreciate He said, you know, little leaguers can kind of be insensitive, you know, jerk, idiot, loser. So he says, I sat on the end of the bench, and I sobbed my eyes out. I sat there in silence. He says, I can still hear the gravel crunching beneath the rubber tires as everyone was leaving the parking lot and feeling totally depressed. Then there was silence. And then I hear this voice from the pitcher's mound. And I hear a ball hitting a mitt, and I hear my dad's voice. And My dad yells out, hey son, come on back up, game's not over. He says I dried my eyes out, and when I did I could see my dad was on the pitcher's mound, and all my relatives were out in the field. He said there are kids in little diapers running around in the infield. Aunt Emma's got one of those dingle ball things that she wears like this out in left field. He says they only wear those out in Iowa and in Manteca, I, I think, by the way. Um, no, just joking, just joking, just joking. If you're from Manteca, you can email me, okay? okay? I'm at Olson at fbcstockton.org, okay? Just get that out of the way, all right? I'm just playing with you. And he says, my blind Uncle Ralph is trying uh, to find right field. And they're yelling, hey, get back up, game's not over. And so I'm drying my eyes off, and my dad starts pitching to me when I walk up to play. About 15 pitches into it, I accidentally hit the ball. And it goes out in the left field, and dad looks at me like, run, run. He says, I ran to first base, and ann Emma's picking up the ball and throwing it over to center field says, cool, a double. So he runs to second base. He says, wow, enjoyed the view. Never been to second base before. Then he says, I got up to third. And by that time, Todd is in center field picking up the ball, throws it to right field. I round third base because blind Uncle Ralph is never going to find that ball out there. He says, I came running home. Three, two, one, five one. Five feet. Three, two, one. I do an all-out dive to the plate. Dust is flying up everywhere. Everybody is cheering. And then... I see him. About two feet in front of me, on one knee, is my dad. He says, we're eyeball to eyeball, just a couple of feet apart. And he looks at me and he says, son, welcome home. You're safe now i'm laughing dad's crying he picks me up he hugs me all my relatives pour out from the infield they put me on their shoulders they carry me off the baseball field cheering on their way to dairy queen (laughs) i heard that story and i thought you know what that mirrors the story of easter for us where we think game's over when we feel like we have struck out three times like peter did When we feel like it is over and done, we're on the corner of the bench, we're crying our eyes out, and yet somebody yells, hey, get back up. Game's not over. Get back up. And if that's you here today, much like it was for Peter, much like it was for these two guys on the road to Emmaus, if that's you here today, realize game's not over. God is still active. God is still alive. God is still here because we know that he is risen. risen I don't know if you believe that yet. He is risen. risen That's the greatest comeback story ever. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what this story means in our lives. The greatest comeback story ever ever we get to remember on this day. And God, I don't know where everybody's hearts are on this day. My challenge though would be that they would explore what it means to come face to face with this Jesus. This Jesus who our culture is intrigued by. This Jesus that people say has changed my life. This Jesus that we each need to come to a place of saying do I believe he is God's son or do I not? God, may we be people who profess that name of Jesus. And folks, let me challenge you. If today you're not quite there yet, do not leave this campus without taking up that challenge. Come talk to me. Come talk to the friend who brought you here today. Pick up the information we have for you out at the Next Step Center, the books to explore. We would love to walk you through some of that. Come back to the class that Pastor Derek's going to do in a couple weeks about the Bible and the truth of the Bible and what it means and how it teaches us. Or simply today, say those words in your heart, Lord Jesus, today I believe in the power of your resurrection. That that same power that rose you from the dead is living in me. You can simply pray, Lord Jesus, I ask for forgiveness of sins. Lord Jesus, today I'm accepting you as Lord and Savior. And as you do, would you come and talk to me about that? Would you just mention, yep, today's the day I walked over that line. Today's the day. I made that decision. God, each of us needs needs to take steps. Whether it's believing more the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, whether it's starting that process now. God, we each want to take that step to say, Lord Jesus, what are you going to do in us? Because we're a part of your story. Thank you for including us in the greatest comeback story ever. For it's in your name we pray.